I wanted I almost went on a complete like I wanted to go on a complete random tangent and make the whole the whole uh Monday minute about not being a um we're just we're just we're certainly turning soft. into giant boobs and just like yeah. yeah, it's hot and it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's cold and uncomfortable, but come on. So maybe we'll still go on this tangent. No, I I already think we just started the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, someone uh, I can't remember what if it was a Monday minute or like a full episode we did. I th- probably something to do with the death hike, and you know you were kind of going on, and then just giant boobs and remember it like caught me off guard yeah. you know and i laughed right we had somebody write in after that and be like you guys need to make like a a t-shirt <laughs> or something to do with all being like we're just giant soft boobs <laughs> no really man just stop being so afraid of slight discomfort you know like and in any aspect just ah yeah gets me fired up <laughs> yeah and it's everywhere you look if you want to see it it's everywhere Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can look at your own life and for sure. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm tough. I'm a badass. And then you realize, well, okay, I avoid this and I avoid that. Exactly. You gotta, you gotta push back. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast. We may or may not have just included that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Monday minute episode, which are shorter, more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Uh, and sometimes rant, maybe. Steve, you're a little feisty this morning. <laughs> yep. Right, it kicks my ass. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> In a good way, yeah. Let's get right into something that's uh, timely relevant. We don't always talk about XO stuff. In fact, don't very often. But we have some new products coming this week. Uh, this has been released on Monday, of course. And then this Wednesday, we'll have a new K4 quick release rifle carrier and then a blaze orange lid for the k4 coming uh the lid's pretty self-explanatory it's the same as the k4 lid just coming in a nice bright blaze orange which is awesome for places that require certain amounts of blaze orange or places like idaho where you just may want to optionally add some blaze orange having that built in to the pack's a great way to do it but let's talk about the rifle carrier because that's uh more involved per se and more mm-hmm. unique than just a, a lid and blaze. So give us the lowdown, Steve, on the new K4 rifle carrier. Yeah, this, you know, obviously all through K4 development, it was something that was on my mind and I, I tested a lot of different concepts and ideas. And at the end of the day, I, I guess first, in, my, my goals were one, I wanted the rifle mounted to the pack. I didn't want it touching the body interfering with the interfering with the body or you know i've i kind of looked at what was on the market and you know just not nothing i saw was let's say designed that well but designed from a i don't know all around perspective like certainly one if it was just day hunting for a few hours oh i could tolerate it and yeah you'd have nice quick access but um just through the whole scenario of going through a backpack hunt where there's times that, you know, I'm, I'm the secondary hunter and I want the rifle just completely strapped to the pack out of sight, out of mind, weight distribution's nice, right. It's mount, mounted to the pack in a, in a good way. That's not, you know, causing you know the pack to feel heavier than it is, but basically not mounted to the very back of the pack. Um, 
and then have it just be nice and secure. You know, you take the pack on and off. You can climb over nasty brush. There, there's no. I didn't. I wanted quick access to it, but I didn't want a a single strap that could be easily bumped, right? And then and then it's like a quick release lever, and wham, the the rifle falls down on the on the ground. So that was kind of probably the number one priority was how can I mount the rifle to the side of the pack, have it be really secure, basically as of it's, you know, it's got two locking buckles strapped to it and it's sucked down to the pack and it's not going anywhere until you physically take the pack off and unbuckle it. But then, so how can I get that type of security with the ability to get it off the pack quickly? And that's where I kind of approached this rifle carrier from. And obviously we'll launch it this Wednesday. You can watch the video. It's it i'm really happy with how it turned out the receiver end so the whole part that holds the butt of the rifle uh it's just a little cordura pocket and then we sew the same kind of the same exact exact elastic that we use for the nalgene carriers around the top of it so that it kind of can close in and grab onto the stock that way if you i've had stuff in the past i've used that uh, you know it's a really loose open connection or you could even go look at our original k2 rifle carrier right that was just a kind of a bucket, right? And if you mm-hmm. set the pack down, the the rifle is obviously sitting below the pack, so it's going to be the first thing that hits the ground and it's going to kind of push up. Um, well, when it pushes up, it's got the potential to kind of just push out of that pocket, uh, and then you got to pick the pack up off and then and off the ground, and wham, the rifle's just going to slip right through and and fall on the ground. So that with the K3 rifle carrier went to that like a really heavy elastic webbing that grabbed onto the um on onto the butt end of the stock um and it works great it just was it grabs too much right for uh, for this quick release aspect it wasn't ideal so i had to do kind of loosen it up but then um worked with this elastic binding on the top of it to to kind of counteract that so it's like a perfect combination of um grabbing onto the stock while at the same time when you go to do the quick release function it just pulls right out of it um the second more critical part was the actual quick release strap itself. And it turned out really, really simple. I just connect. Um, it's got so basically a little short, two short pieces of webbing, each one sewn to a tri-glide. And then, uh, and then you just got a male, female buckle. That's a, it's a locking quick, basically quick release buckle. And then it's got, it's a, a little different than your normal buckle. That's got like tabs on the outside that you can reach back and it just, it makes it um, easier to, to find and, and grab to get, to get it to release quicker. So you put those on the, on the top strap of the, 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 from frame to the bag. Um, and that can be right or left side. And uh, it's, you just got to un, undo the buckle that is on that top piece of webbing. And then slide on the two triglides, re put the buckle on, clip it back to the pack, and then you basically position that. You slide it all the way forward so it's kind of as close to your head as possible. And then you just put the rifle in the receiver, uh, adjust the height of it so that it's sitting, uh, that the stock is basically terminating right there where the buckle is. You want it to be, um, you want the buckle wrapping around the stock and not the barrel because if it's around the barrel, that's round and the rifle can kind of twist and move. I want, you know, once that rifle's strapped to the pack, I don't want it wobbling around on you at all. And uh, yeah, you put that buckle around it and then that's it. You just start hiking and uh, there's a little bit of a technique where you basically just reach up, kind of imagine just kind of like right behind and a little bit below your ear 
grab the buckle and, and you use your thumb and pointer finger, squeeze the buckle and with your other three fingers, you're just kind of holding onto the barrel. So when the, the rifle releases, you just grab it and it's just one fluid motion forward and uh, you can get the rifle to your shoulder. And we, I tested it on you know, 15 different guys that kind of came through the office. Uh, and after, after like two or three kind of like just figuring out where to reach back and grab, um, two or three attempts at that, you kind of get it dialed in. And then from there, it's like between three to four seconds from the time, basically say go to the time you can get the rifle to your shoulder, which is pretty dang fast. You know, there's certainly covers you for, you know, 98% of your hunting situations where you would, would be like, I need to get the rifle to my shoulder quickly. You know, if I was in heavy grizzly bear country or brown bear country, that's a different story. You're going to, you know, uh, unless if you don't have a pistol, you, your rifle's your defense. You want that in your hand the whole time, but um for yeah said so the vast vast majority of hunting situations be able to hunt completely hands-free and then get to that rifle very quickly that may sound like a lot <laughs> you know i know walking, <laughs> yeah. like walking yeah. through all that it is really really stinking simple both the design the installation the use all the above so we'll uh again have the video of course when the product is released but i'll actually go ahead and put the video in the show description so even though uh, if you're hearing this on Monday or Tuesday before the rifle carrier is released, we'll have a, a sneak peek at the video for you guys. So just check out the link in the show description for that. One of the other big bonuses was because now that strap is attached to that, the quick release strap is attached to that piece of webbing. No matter, it was always an issue in the past with like a K3 rifle carrier. It worked, everything was fine. You didn't have, you had quick access to it, but not super quick. Um, but once you went to pack meat, it just got a little tricky on where to put the gun and now mm -hmm. it's, it just stays in the exact same spot, which it was kind of a side benefit of when I was doing some testing. Um, I think we were, I was testing your bear. Um, no, no, God, no. I just tested this a year ago. The bear hunt last year when we doubled up, it was the yep. first time I had the strap. Yeah, we did. And it was a different piece of hardware that we were testing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The buckle was different. It took me, I went through a, 500 different buckle prototypes trying to find the right one and that's one of the reasons it ended up so late it uh we had to order this from ykk i found the buckle um i was actually requesting buckle samples for something a different project i'm working on and uh and this came and i was like holy crap that's the one you know we we got it ordered but then it was ykk is terrible they're like oh it's 12 week lead time you're like are you kidding me but we dealt with it. We're here. It's August. We got them for, for sale and <laughs> get them, get them to guys before it's hunting season. So it wasn't, you know, a lot of people probably you could sit back like, why are you waiting so long? And it's like, well, there's obviously a lot of things going on behind the scenes that aren't in our control. We just do our best. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I was going to say the other reason we waited too, is to actually build inventory and not launch with like, Oh, oh right. here's this new rifle yeah. carrier, but it's going to sell out in an hour or a day. And then a bunch of guys are, you know, waiting. So we could have launched this really probably a couple of weeks ago, but we've been given it time for production to kind of build a good amount of inventory to hopefully meet the demand here. Yeah. It doesn't do us any good to launch and, and immediately sell out. Right. Like it's, yeah, we've been, you know, in our, how we operate, we take care of customers. So we have, we've had these in some of them in stock for a couple of weeks and guys were like, Hey, I'm leaving on a hunt. I need a rifle carrier. Like, Oh, well, you've got this. We'll send it to you. Um, it's not actually on the website here for a couple of weeks, but we've been taking care of people that, that did reach out and did need one. 
and uh yeah i'm i'm really happy with how it turned out there's no man you you ask 100 different guys rifle hunters how they want to carry their rifle and you're going to get 100 different responses uh, so i don't feel like there's a perfect solution out there but this is my best attempt at something simple secure all while having pretty dang good quick access to it right like it's mm-hmm. it's not um you know i saw some other ones where it like relies on actually the rifle putting tension into the back of your shoulder right so if you've got any sharp edges on that like that's you know it's one of those like okay it's fine for a day or two or half a day but you're on a backpack hunt you don't want like your rifle digging into the back of your shoulder blade you know for hours on end every day um yeah just, just kind of just really happy at the end of the day with how this turned out and what it's going to do for the very simple package that it is. Cool. Well, again, guys, check that out. Uh, link in the short description now to the video, and then everything will be releasing on Wednesday. We'll share that in an email. If you don't yet get our emails, uh, you can always go to exomountgear.com forward slash newsletter and sign up there. Uh, another thing just timely wise while we're hitting stuff is Tuesday. So again, this podcast is coming out Monday, Tuesday, August 1st. We are doing a webinar with the guys at Onyx, uh, Onyx Maps. And then I'm going to be joining Dylan from Onyx uh, to talk all about backpack hunting. Um, it's going to be like part webinar, the first 20-ish minutes. Um, I kind of have an outline of stuff I'm going to cover, but then we're going to open it up to Q&A as well. Uh, this is a live event. It starts at 5.30 Mountain Time. If you want to join, there's a link in the show description. It's free. You can register, get it set up with a reminder, and tune in. If you guys don't make the live event, it is going to be shared later, I believe, just through YouTube. So we can try and share that video in the future. But of course, the Q&A portion is kind of only for the folks who are tuned in live. So something cool to check out, something we've never done, uh, but should be fun to get on with you guys and kind of chat live uh, tomorrow evening, August 1st, 530 Mountain. Again, link in the show description if you want to register for that. Steve, did you uh, play with your fuel transfer device for your half-empty Jopo oh, container? Son of a bitch! No, <laughs> did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Killing me, Smalls. However, uh, however, I did talk to a couple guys. <laughs> okay, one of which was Dione, uh, our friend Dione. You've heard on Death Hike things, and then the recent uh, backpack hunt breakdown with a mule deer hunt. So that infamous Dione. And he said he's done this a ton. Uh, he's been doing it for a couple of years. So he gave me just a few things to keep in mind of. The fuel transfer device, uh, again, for people who maybe didn't hear last week's Monday Minute, is taking uh, and filling essentially jet boil containers that are half full or even empty and fueling them from a either larger source or full source, what have you. Um, so again, Dione mentioned, just keep in mind that the transfer device doesn't really have a like a built-in safety or limiter or regulator, so you can overfill a container um, and create too much pressure. So you do just want to make sure that you're monitoring that by weight and making sure you're not overfilling the, the canister. That's an important thing. And then he that, said, go ahead. Yeah, how do you, that was my question because he kind of, they vaguely mention that in the instructions on it. Like what happens if you, does it just start spilling out the side? Like, what is that? 
Yeah, or do you I don't just know fill it, it until it gets all the way full. Like, what does that matter? Yeah, yeah I have to find out. Yeah. Part of my assumption would be it's possible to quote unquote overfill it, but then what they mean by full isn't that the canister's full, but it, that it is full to a safe level. Because, like, so let's say the canister's hundred percent full, but that's at that pressure and those conditions. And then if you were to change the conditions like mm. that canister and heat, it's going to build up pressure, right? So similar to like, you know, you go to fill up, like I go to fill up my riding mower, right? And the fill line is not where the gas tank's full because the pressure is going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm assuming it's the same type of thing where there's full in terms of max capacity, but that's not safe for all conditions or pressures or temperatures. So the actual mm. quote unquote, where they want you to have the fill line be, or like what a brand new jet boil container is, is quote unquote full is probably only call it 90% full, right? Because mm-hmm. of me. So hmm. go buy a brand new full canister and weigh it. And then, yes. no, no, I mean, it does say, I guess, yeah, whatever, 380 grams or whatever the heck it is. It's not yeah. that much. 120 something grams, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think measuring a new, because then. You know, there's different canisters, different brands. They're not all jet boil. Maybe some of those have different weights because the physical uh, dimension mm-hmm. weight of that canister is different. And the one thing I didn't think of too much, but he said, is that the the valves in the canisters can go bad. So it's not like you can have one canister and refill it forever because eventually mm-hmm. the valve is going to go bad and wear out and then it'll essentially leak fuel. So do you only mention that he refills canisters? I think he said like three to four times and then just kind of discards them. So uh, again, not a hard fix number there, but just something to keep in mind. Um, so yeah, we didn't do it, Steve. We should still do it, but <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I have every intention. I mean, I did like clean my whole garage. You know, I just kind of wanted to get through, get everything organized and ready for hunting season, but I just didn't actually get to clean, like organizing my totes and getting, going through that so i piled up uh as i was going through bins and stuff i had i think i threw like 15 or 20 canisters and the one bin that i know has got more canisters in it yeah. uh, and I, I completely had every intention of doing it friday night and then yeah completely forgot about it until you just said it more to come uh dioni as well as several other guys that emailed in so thanks for everybody who emailed in also had some feedback or tips on Steve and I talking about stinky boots and uh, you and I, Steve, hmm. said we didn't really have an issue. For guys who did, Dioni said he has taken and basically filled the sink with water, added like a cup of vinegar and flat out soaked boots before. Um, and he said those were particular ones that were quite foul. Um, so he soaked them in diluted vinegar, said that worked incredibly well. We, I had a guide reach out and they spray isopropyl alcohol inside the boots. And he said that kills like bacteria, which is where the mm. odor is coming from. Uh, had some other guys reach out and say they just sprinkle in some like um, Arm & Hammer, you know, after like a training mm-hmm. hike, pull the insoles out, sprinkle in some Arm & ha- Arm Hammer. Again, I think a big idea here is kind of killing some bacteria and um, preventing that moisture from just soaking in. So there's a few more tips for guys who may be struggling with uh, with stinky boots. Sweet. 
All right, jumping to new stuff, Steve. A guy wrote in and said, I just noticed that the trekking poles you sell at SNS Archery are labeled as discontinued. I was wondering if you have plans to bring them back, maybe with a newer version or something like that, or are they truly discontinued for good? If so, do you have any other recommendations on other trekking poles? Um, yeah, we, we decided to stop selling them. We just had too many... Trekking poles are tricky. I mean, they're just getting absolutely hammered right um and we just at the end of the day had too many warranty issues with them you know people breaking off the tips or um for how light those things were they were i would say incredibly durable but they're like probably maybe too light for ever general hunting people right just beating the crap out of them you know you got 100 pound packs and you trip and fall and your trekking pole gets stuck between some rocks and um, yeah, we just had too many, just too many warranty issues with it. And it was just, it wasn't, um, it was more, we just didn't want to like put out a product that would, that had issues. Right. Um, and they were, I said, I don't, I don't think, uh, short of building like some heavy aluminum, any, basically rephrase this, any lightweight carbon one used during hunting after a couple seasons, you're going to have issues with it um that's just uh they're a almost a disposable good so it wasn't that they were poorly made or anything like that it was just they were really lightweight and pushing the edge of probably what you'd want to use hunting other recommendations i i don't i'm still like we still have we stopped selling them but we had like you know 50 pairs left and so i've still got you know three or four pairs just sitting out in my garage and keep using them and abusing them because i haven't I haven't found anything I like better for they're incredibly light and rigid. And um, I'd like to, you know, if I ever get some free time, revisit like doing a, you know, made in the USA version with them. Like, you know, they'd be, they'd probably be $300 or something by the time you did that here in the US. It'd be really expensive, but you could make them really, really badass. Maybe that's a future project. We'll see. Yeah. I think they're incredibly tough for what they are but it goes back to like sometimes people just not realizing what they are how light they are how to use them how to avoid issues you know so i'm not yeah. saying like purely a user issue but i've certainly done things um with them that i thought would have broken them uh and didn't <laughs> so yeah it is tough like you said see it's not just these poles in particular it's just a lot of a lot of white lightweight carbon poles especially from the bigger names right so um you know the rei type stuff like they don't they're not selling those thinking about hunters who are off yeah. trail with super heavy packs doing what we're typically doing um so just keep that in mind with a lot of different poles is that they're not necessarily built for uh call it the use or abuse of heavy packs off trail tough terrain that's not what they're built for. Other recommendations? Yeah, I don't know. I've used a lot of Leckies in the past and had good luck with them uh, when I was using them. But, you know, some of the Black Diamond poles are really good. Um, yeah, just look at, you know, there's some poles are known to have better locking mechanisms than other, uh, whether that is twist lock or flick lock. Seen both fail for sure. So I'm not in the camp that one is purely better than the other. I think it's how well each one of those is done. Um, I've seen some hunters use the 
like the foldable poles, which really I wouldn't recommend for again, hard use. Um, yeah. So there's, there's obviously a ton of them out there. I'm just not as up to date on all the options and best options and what have you. Mm, Yeah, me as well. All right. This question came through, Steve. Uh, I thought it would be fun to, I don't know if we could say answer, but talk through. This guy wrote in and he said, how do you guys organize your gear for easy access during the night? For instance, items like a flashlight or headlamp, a pistol that you may need urgently or for peace of mind, uh, anything like clothes for the next day. Do you keep items zippered with you in your bivy for cleanliness and convenience? Do you store anything in your sleeping bag to keep it warm for the morning? Uh, how do you manage your boots to prevent condensation and bugs from getting in them? Do you keep your pack next to your bivy with all your gear in it? Uh, what do you do? Do you do anything with your glassing pad to avoid, you know, or to have it to step on to avoid getting dirt and other things in your sleeping bag? So this guy like listed a million <laughs> different things, uh, yeah. thinking very deeply about this topic, which I thought would be fun to think deeply about for a few minutes and like, what are some of the small things that we do that maybe we do by habit at this point that have some intention behind them, but we don't, you know, we haven't necessarily thought about why in a while. It's just like what we do. So I'm calling it the nightly nitty gritty, Steve. Mm. And one thing I'll say off the bat is this depends on obviously the conditions, like is there snow on the ground or not, rain predicted or not. And really to go with that and largely my sis- call it system changes a bit based on what type of shelter I'm using. Um, so I'll just leave that there, like big things of, hey, this can change based on conditions, weather, shelter, etc. But I'd, I'll just let you start, Stephen. I think we can probably bounce back and forth a little bit on some of the small things. Yeah, whether so whether I'm in a tent with, you know, any tent right now I've got, let's come into my mind. The, the packs out in the vestibule of the tent, whether Hilberg and hand and a two man setup or uh, my tarp tent Eon, the, the packs out there in the vestibule, just make sure that, um, you know, I guess first is it, is it um, in an area where there's going to be a lot of condensation? Is there a lot of moisture in the air? Um, and then is it po- the potential to rain that night? So I, if those two things are a, a big yes, then then I get more diligent about what I'm doing, right? So that I'm making sure that the the pack is tucked under the vestibule. There's not. I've had it before where I had um, I put the pack like you know the main body of the pack was under the vestibule, but the one of the hip belt I think it was like the, the left side of it was like ended up underneath and sticking outside. And so you woke up in the morning and it rained all night long and it stopped raining. It was beautiful weather, but my entire hip belt was just soaking wet. Right. Um, so that was just being lazy not paying attention to the details of making sure the pack was fully tucked under the vestibule. So that when it rained, it wasn't going to get wet. And then inside the tent, if condensation is going to be an issue, you don't want to just have clothes on the floor. Definitely don't want them to have them down by your feet. Um, you know, because the, there's just going to be condensation on the floor of the tent and next to you. So I usually, um, I'm either, I'm always going to bed wearing socks, long johns, pants, you know, uh, for the most part, we've talked about this in the past, like I use, use my clothes as an additional way to keep warm at night so that my quilt is temperature rated to kind of work with my clothes. So 
in general, unless it's just really hot, I'm sleeping in most of my clothes that I want to wake up in, right? I just, all I got to do is wake up, slide on my boots and put on my jacket and that I'm out the tent. Um, so if there are clothes though, that I don't want to wear, but I want with me, I put them in the, um, inside the sleeping bag all the way down by my feet. And that way they're going to be nice and warm and dry down there. Certainly do that with wet items. Um, you know, go to, go to bed and, um, say my, you know, yeah, something was wet that I just didn't want to wear or whatever. It's, it's down there, wet socks, wet, wet mid layer, base layer. Um, those are going to dry out in the middle of the night. Um, and then, you know, myself, I'm trying to think, basically I got, I put everything in my pack, zipper it up. I'll have, I do have a night nightly ritual of making sure that my jet boil is full of water and my coffee's right there. I'm pretty grouchy first thing in the morning <laughs> and, uh, that coffee gets me going. So I, I have that ready to go. Like that, I hate waking up and say you got super cold hands and you're trying to filter water. And I just, uh, to make your coffee, I just do all that right before I go to bed. And then, yeah, cell phone. I, if it's cold, I certainly keep that in me with me. So it's in my, if I'm, um, in my pant pocket, which kind of gets annoying, you know, you're sleeping on it, but at least it's staying warm or I, um, put it uh like in my jacket if i'm wearing my puffy jacket and i'll put it in that jacket pocket and that seems to not be an issue so i did see where i guess catabatic their new quilts have like a cell phone pocket built into it mm-hmm. i thought that was kind of interesting i don't know if that'd be super annoying or not um mm-hmm. but i thought that was pretty cool pretty cool feature and then the only other thing yeah, is my headlamp is gonna be i usually just put it up above my head in the tent or it's in a bivy sack with me. And that's like, yeah, it's a get a little bit of a pain in the ass because it's, I just kind of put it up there in the corner, but you wake up by the time you toss and turn all night long. Certainly, if I wake up and I need my headlamp right away, I'm fumbling around, reaching for it, trying to find it. There's just no, no good place to put that thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's about it, man. Hey, simple routine, but that's, I don't, I don't think there's anything else different I do. Yeah. Certainly yeah. not as, detailed to the level this guy's questions were um yeah yeah for me i i used to by default like think i had to have all of my gear in the vestibule and everything else for oh in case it rains but again it just depends on the forecast and even the camp location in terms of condensation i tend to prefer to if i am pretty sure want to quote unquote risk it leave my pack out of the vestibule or out from under my tarp and just put it under a tree if there is one um just prop it up next to a tree again it is exposed a little bit not only to potential moisture um, but even things like critters i guess Um, i've never had an issue though doing that so and the reason i say that is i have found it nicer to have the vestibule or you know, if I'm in like a Vivian tarp setup, just to have it be less crowded, to have a little bit more space to move and not be like having everything be crowded to get in and out of the shelter or knocking stuff over or the pack. I've had it where my pack's in the vestibule and I stand it up and then it tips over, you know, in the night, either onto me or onto my jet boil that I had water in for my coffee. And so um, I will just keep it out if I can, um, I do try and, you know, keep it secured. I'll do the roll top and all that. Um, sometimes I'll hang it in a tree too, but you just have to look for things like sap 
Uh, so just little stuff to keep in mind with that. And then kind of same for weapon tend to just keep that under the tree if I can, or we'll bring it under, uh, under my tarp or vestibule in a tent style shelter if needed. But otherwise it's very similar to what I keep in the shelter with me kind of for sure is any extra layers that I either may need or that I want to help dry out. Uh, my headlamp, my phone usually will have my kind of charge bank if I need to power, add some power to my phone. Um, and that's about it. Like in, say if I'm using like my Gossamer gear tent. Um, and then in the vestibule is boots and jet boil and usually have, you know, the next morning's breakfast. Um, even if that's something quick and on the go and I don't have to quote unquote make it a lot of times I'll have it there and just kind of, Hey, I may wake up and want to eat this right away. I may not I may want to eat it later, but at least it's there if I want it. And then usually just some extra water. So I keep it pretty simple. I will often have my uh, glassing pad there that I can kind of use as a way to get in and out of the tent or get my feet out of the tent without getting into dirt, um, especially if you're in kind of like a more open, dirty, dusty area. So that is something you can kind of use to kind of help keep things kind of clean. Um, but yeah, it's pretty simple. It's just a matter of, I think of like we, uh, to me, Steve, this whole topic is very similar to how do you, how do you organize your pack? Like, where do you put your gear? And I think it's all about building some reps to find what works for you and then having consistency. Like Hmm. it's as simple as that of, Hey, this is what I do. This is where I put my headlamp. Like you were talking about that for me, it's always, as I'm laying down, it's behind my head, but it's always over my right shoulder. For example, Um, it's just little things like find out what works, be consistent with it. And then all of a sudden, like a lot of this, you're just going to do by habit and have have a nice little system that works for you. Yeah, the only thing I I'll add is and it goes along with like pre-making my coffee. Just anything I can do before I go to bed, I just take care of it. Uh, it's not a, a long list of things, right? But just making sure that in the morning, all I got to do is make my coffee, put on my boots, load the pack back up, and go. So there's just little maintenance things you know you're doing, or whether it's um, yeah, just anything you could think of. Um, yeah. I'm gonna do. Th- excuse me, do that night before. And uh, that way in the morning, I'm ready to hit the ground running. Yeah. To your point too, like it made me think of something else. I do little because, you know, a lot of times we're getting up and we're moving camp, right? So if I'm getting up and like, even if we're going to glass from camp, for example, so we're not like rushed or on the go, but if I know, Hey, we're, we're popping steaks, we're moving camp. And I'm not spending a bunch of time in my shelter this morning because of it's raining or what have you. Like really, as soon as I wake up and I know I'm getting ready to get up, a lot of times I'm right away opening that air valve on my air mattress. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. while I'm laying on it, I'm letting my body weight push all that air out or begin to. And a lot of times I'll get that taken care of and roll that up while I'm in my shelter. Because again, if there's condensation or things like that outside, I just don't want to you know, get it wet. I don't want to expose it to rocks and dirt and stuff outside. So a lot of times I'm just laying on my air mattress, opening it up, getting the air out, and then I'll roll it up. You know, if not the first thing is one of the first things I do. Um, 
tiny stuff I do. I, I take my pillow and I put it in the foot end of my quilt. Uh, again, just to help it not get lost or fly out when I'm getting stuff in and out of my pack later. I just kind of keep it in my quilt in the foot end. So <laughs> there's all like kind that. of just little things you can do that. I, yeah, again, like I, there's a reason I do it, but I don't necessarily think about it anymore. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. kind of my habit. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking of um, sleeping pads, that I think it was on the, the night before the death hike, I slept on that Thermarest, the new Neo Air NXT, the one that's uh-huh. three inches thick. Yeah. Um, very like it's, you know, I always say it's, it's a 10% or 30% more comfortable, but it just, it felt nice. I'll, I'll say that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually, I pulled it out and it's, um, Actually, no, I take that back. It's it's lighter than my original one. Um, but I had, as I was, <laughs> I was saying that, I had taken Aquaseal and uh, Aquasealed on the attachment points for my Enlightened Equipment quilt. So I was like, okay, that's probably oh. that half an ounce difference that I saw. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, basically, they improved the pad, added our value, added thickness. It's more comfortable, made it quieter, and kept the weight same, the exact same. You know, it's pretty impressive feat. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up picking one up too, and I don't have a bunch of nights on it to talk about yet, but definitely will after this fall. I'm excited to put it through the paces. Yeah. Um, Do you get a regular? Cool the, yeah, I just get regular, the 20 by 72. Yeah. What'd the weight come in at? Do you recall? 13.2 or something like that. Okay. 13, 14. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's 13, I think. Uh, it's it like the couple days after the death hike I weighed it it's been a you know that was earlier in July I can't remember the exact number but I just know I compared it to my original one and it was lighter which I was surprised right yeah yeah, yeah I went ahead because I've been running that Nemo Tensor Alpine which I really do like that pad it's warm and comfortable and I can't complain but I do mm-hmm. have kind of just the regular in that and uh you know, it's probably great if you're six foot, but I'm like six two and there are times where it's like just a bit short. And I've kind of I've gotten used to it. It doesn't really bug me, uh, but it's definitely shorter than like fully supported. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went ahead and got the long on this and it came in right at 17, which is basically what my Nemo was, even though my Nemo wasn't the long. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. Like, mm. All right. Well, if I can take the same weight, but still have good warmth, have some comfort and see how I feel just kind of about sleeping on a, a longer pad again. That's actually going to meet my, nice. meet my length. We'll see what that feels like. Yeah. I wish they would do, I think it's the Sea Summit. I'll say they're 21 and a half wide for their regular. And that inch and a half is like, yeah, it's, de- I definitely like being on that pad. It just feels more roomy. Um, mm-hmm. Or if on this, the 20 inch pads, I mean, it's only an inch and a half, but it, like when you go to roll on your side, I feel like I got to roll over and then like scoot myself back to the middle of the pad, you know? So yeah. certainly I'm aware of it, but um, I don't know, nothing that's worth me getting a, a bigger size pad for and packing the extra weight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was, there's just so many cool as, as dialed in as our gear has, and it really hasn't changed over the last 10 years. There's also every year there's like one, two, three new items that are, um, like, oh, dude, this is a legit improvement over what I've had in the past. And um, you start looking at it and, you know, just um, tripods. Uh, yeah, you ever haven't seen it. So Asiac Equipment came out with a new tripod we're selling through SNS. Yeah. Haven't used it. it in the field yet. 
but man, I'm very impressed by just looking at that thing, playing with it in the shop. Some of the features, it's incredibly lightweight, uh, ingenious. The center post is, um, it's basically a triangle, but each, um, portion of the triangle is kind of a, a convex shape. Um, mm -hmm. and so the, as the three legs collapse in, they just kind of all fold in nice and tight. So the, the collapse tripod is really small and tidy and, um, yeah, it's, uh, really cool. So, um, excited to test that out. You got the Nighthawk pan head, which is from wiser precision, which is crazy light and smooth. And there's just things I've got in my pack now that didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago that mm -hmm. were, you know, big holes in the hunting market. I thought of, um, you know, obviously the hunting market to me is probably the most, the lightweight backpacking side of the hunting market is one of the more technical, you know, like you, you need all the, like going back to trekking poles, right? Like all the stuff you'd see at REI, like it's, you know, we want the same specs as those super light trekking poles, but be able to just beat the crap out of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's hunting right like they're just the yeah. demand is so much higher than anything else so it's trying to to marry those two worlds together it's not an easy task but certainly companies are doing it and attempting it and, and you know, frankly doing it very well yeah that's just cool to see unlike the you know we did the archery podcast and it's like just not like you know nothing's changed in 10 years so that I, I reflected back on that more later on and like we kind of from like 2000 to 2010 i want to say was like there was a a pile of advancements in those 10 years and then i look now i mean there's just like we talked about there's just nothing there but then i think um interestingly enough i think the rifle market is you know our, our timing with wanting to get into rifles and the rifle market doing i don't think it's there's a lot of innovation happening right now Mm -hmm. um, a lot of cool things going on with new new rifles and stocks and um yeah it's pretty like we're, i think there's a kind of a resurgence right now in the rifle world of just cool stuff yeah yeah agreed even before you went on on that chat we were talking about sleeping pads and you know fairly minuscule differences of an ounce here and an inch there and all that stuff and then we further talked about minor changes but how they can make a big difference uh, mm -hmm. It was a good segue, which to a question you had no idea of, Steve. <laughs> this guy wrote in and said, I really enjoy the podcast. So thank you. I like the educational focus that many of the conversations have. I would like to ask about one inconsistency that jumps out at me. You guys will go into amazing detail about clothing and gear. I could easily envision a 10 minute segment on the perfect number of teeth per inch on the zipper of the pocket of your pants. And whether that pocket should be vertical, horizontal, or at a 13.92 degree down angle. Or an explanation of a down jacket that includes recommendations to assure you at least have 25% of the down from a left-handed goose in case you're south of the equator <laughs> and the Coriolis effect is reversed and 5% of the ambidestrix, ambidestrix goose that you hunt is over the equinox. However, when the topic of communication comes up, you guys seem to be in unison and chant Garmin, Garmin, Garmin. There are numerous brands and most use the Iridium network. Garmin is a fine product, but also the most expensive, least flexible subscription, and it's not perfect. When you guys describe when you guys describe 
what is actually a potentially life-saving device. You offer no research or options. It just seems a little out of character to you. So I don't. Fair I, assessment. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I don't take offense at that. I don't think it's like an unfair assessment. Uh, I just thought it was like worth. I don't know. Throw it out there. What do you think? My why Garmin, Garmin, Garmin? Because it's all I've used, um, yeah. and I'm aware of other competitors. I don't. My impression, and this guy's 100 percent right. I haven't really tested or thoroughly vetted other things. I just Garmin is the you know i guess delorme was to my knowledge the first and then garmin bought out delorme um there are uh, garmin's a pretty well respected large company and i i don't imagine anyone's doing better than they are um as far as reliability of the network and things like that uh that's just a wild assumption though so maybe someone is cody when he was out hunting he's got some other messenger device maybe zolio it's one of the other ones um and he was uh it's it's kind of like the the new garmin messenger where mm-hmm. it's there's no screen or nothing it's just a, a basically a bluetooth device so you're 100 reliant on your phone but he had good good results with it like he was able to um you know obviously he was texting back and forth and we were talking about it. he was texting his wife a bunch and um he had really good results with it so uh yeah i don't know yeah worth worth exploring but also not super interested in fixing what's not broke yeah uh, right. yeah and i don't know if i'm not i do think there's a valid argument for not using a one of the devices that is 100 reliant on your phone like mm-hmm. i'm usually not not one to be like you know oh you need backups on backups on backups but in this scenario on a life-saving device yeah you know it's probably a good idea that the device itself you're able to communicate right yeah 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 i appreciated this email because it made me think right Mm -hmm. um i think a couple things come to mind again i don't take offense to this or don't think we need to be like defensive because neither of us have like a a, like so we've said like a garmin bias or affiliation like at all um for me, it comes down to, yeah, like, and I don't think this is out of character, but we've talked a lot about, hey, when we find something we like and we trust, like, we tend to not change it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody asked me about a quilt, you could hear me say catabatic, catabatic, catabatic. I will also say, hey, Enlightened Equipment makes a good one, El Coyote, uh, if you're on a budget, hammock gear, like, I'll throw you a bunch of options, but I'm just saying, like, I trust my catabatic and love it and used it and I have no reason to switch. And that's essentially where I'm at, like with a Garmin, right? Especially on, let's say it is a life-saving device. If I trust it, why in the world would I look for something else? Just mm-hmm. like on that fact. So I don't, I don't, and I don't think Garmin's perfect, but like to your point, Zolio, some of the other devices that don't have a screen or must require a phone, um, et cetera, that's not, I don't see a benefit there that makes me want to look at them further. I'll put it that way. Yeah. He mentioned pricing and plans and stuff. And maybe that's, maybe that's the case. I just, uh, in from basically September through November, I, I upgrade my Garmin plan to the, Oh, one of the more premium ones. I'll say it's like, ends up being like 50, 60 bucks a month. And then the, and then 
in December, I just turn it back down to the basic thing, which is like $14 a month. And my, my end reaches in my truck 12 months out of the year. Right. If it, um, so if I'm ever driving down the highway somewhere, you know, even just went on a family road trip and it was like, I made sure that the Carmen was in there. Um, cause it was right after the death hike. I put it back in the truck. It's like, well, there's just awesome to have, you know, a way to communicate it for get a flat tire and route in the middle of nowhere with no service. Mm-hmm. So it's 14 bucks a month, the, you know, the other nine months out of the year. I, I don't know what could be more flexible than that to me. Yeah. Another thing, and this is specific to this scenario, this question is, I will say I have tried one of the other devices. Um, actually one of the other companies had reached out to us to ask if we want to try one of the other devices. I got it and had issues with it and then just didn't go any further. Right. So I'm hmm. one, it doesn't make me want to spend time on it. Right. Not on that device, but again, on finding an alternative to something that I already have that meets my needs and I trust like that experience alone made me go, yeah, I'm just going to stick with my Garmin. Like I don't, I'm not going to waste time trying these other things. But then I'm also not going to like say, hey, I tried this device and had a bad experience and wouldn't recommend it because I don't I can't even say that because my experience of this bad experience was like one person, one device, like maybe it was a bad device, which is probably what they said. They wanted to send me a new one, uh, et cetera. But again, I'm not going to waste my time now trying a second device from the same company to see if I don't have a bad experience this time when I already have something that I know and trust. And I'm also not going to hop on the podcast and go, hey, I tried this device and it sucks. Like it didn't work, right? Because that's probably not the case in general. They probably would have sent me a second device that it probably would have worked fine. But again, I don't have like the time to fool with that, nor the interest to go through all these hoops when I already have something that I have and I know and it works. So yeah, just with the podcast and gear in general, like we love to tinker and test stuff and try stuff. But at the same time, like we're not going to be like the be all end all have a comparison review for everything. And there are a lot of good, hey, Zolio versus somewhere versus in reach type articles and podcasts and whatever out there. So fair question. I, I'm i glad this guy sent it in. Yeah, I, yeah I guess, I'm just trying to think. Normally, I'm pretty good at seeing stuff and analyzing and I guess I just haven't seen, you know, a marketing thing pop up or that was intriguing enough for me to go, oh, I want to look at that and check it out, research it further. Other than, so I know Cody had really good results messaging with his one thing last year, but still didn't have a screen on it. And I was kind of like, eh, eh, it's probably not worth it. That's a wrap, guys. Appreciate you guys sending those emails, whether they're your questions or questions to us. Like, again, don't mind that stuff at all. Um if you have anything, whether it is a question or just like even a topic suggestion, anything like that, you can always send us an email to podcasts at exomontgear.com. Again, there's links in the show descriptions uh, for this episode in particular, for some of the gear we talked about, for the new rifle carrier and blaze lid that's coming, the webinar that's tomorrow, etc. Um, yeah, that's a wrap. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon. Don't be a boob. (laughs) You'll do something hard.